Welcome to the We Believe in Florida Citrus podcast, brought to you by Florida Grower Magazine. The We Believe in Florida Citrus initiative shines a light on the positive work taking place to build a sustainable future for the state's signature crop. Each episode of this podcast will bring you insights and expertise from key players in the citrus industry. Now, here's Florida Grower Editor Frank Giles with this episode's interview. We want to welcome uh, Rick Dantzler, the Chief Operating Officer of the Citrus Research and Development Foundation, uh, CRDF for short, uh, to this week's podcast. Uh, Rick, Pleased, pleased to have you joining us. Well, thank you, Frank. It's good to be here. I know this has been a tough year for growers. I'm glad to turn the page and get into a new season. This has been a hard 12 or 14 months. I'm aware of that, but we have some good things going on at CRDF, and there are reasons to be encouraged. Excellent. Excellent. It sounds like the fruit set may be a little bit better and more uniform going into next year, so hopefully that you know bodes for a better season coming ahead. Right. Well, that's right. That's that's what we've heard from our grower board members and our growers that are on our committees. Uh, I think we had a great fruit set, real uniform bloom. So I think we're going to have a much better year next year than we did this past. Yeah, let's hope so. Well, let's just to get us um, started, just tell us a little bit about the CRDF, what it does, and, and what you do within that organization. The Citrus Research and Development Foundation started in 2009 when the gravity of HLB became apparent. Growers knew that they needed to do something very bold to try to get this disease behind them, or uh, it may be the end of them. And so what they did was come together and decided to create a research foundation, which became Citrus Research and Development Foundation. There were a number of different models about how it was to be structured, but what was ultimately decided was that it would be better for it to be a direct support organization for the University of Florida. Uh, Some of the advantages to that were that office space and a lot of administrative costs that growers would otherwise had to have been paying could be handled by the university. Uh, We would have a a good and very close working relationship with the Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences, which was doing an awful lot of the scientific research at the time. And we thought there could be some real synergies there. What was very important to the board and what the university agreed to was that CRDF's decisions would be made totally by the board without university influence, and that um, we would go wherever we needed in order to get the answers to the questions that needed to be answered. Um, You'll probably remember that about two years ago, we had a little bit of a dust up on those points with the university, but we got that behind us. And so now CRDF, which is an entity that is there to serve growers, The decisions are made by the board of directors, and we are free to go wherever we need to in order to find answers to these pressing questions. What I do, my official title is chief operating officer, and um, it's my responsibility to coordinate our activities and uh, make sure that the process is above reproach and um, funds the research that the citrus industry needs. 
We have two primary research committees that make recommendations to our board about what projects to fund. We primarily fund our research through a request for proposals where we identify the research topics that we think need to be addressed, document those needs into a formal document and put that out for the research community to submit proposals to us to address those priorities. Um, we are in the middle of our 2021 RFP process as we speak. We received 63 pre-proposals, which is a two-page summary of what a researcher is seeking funding to do. We have scientists from all across the country that advise us on which projects should be invited, which means that we ask the researchers to submit a full proposal. We believe there's enough to the idea that we need to check it out more. So these scientists from across the country help advise us on which of those projects to invite. And then once the committees and the board decide which projects to invite, these scientists from all across the country uh, help us to decide which ones we actually fund. Uh, it's a, it's a, a lengthy and some would might say tedious process, but at least it overlays a scientific acumen over the decisions we make and helps us identify projects that have scientific merit. And then our committees and the board help identify which of those are of highest priority because our committee and board members live with the industry every single day. So it's a process that works pretty well. Uh, it's not without its, without its imperfections, but by and large, it works very well. Very good. Well, you, you spoke at our Florida Grower Citrus Show here a week or so ago and kind of gave a, a history of citrus research and, you know, where we're at today and where we're headed. But, you know, a lot of that focused on H, HLB uh, for obvious reason, reasons. But just talk a little bit of why this disease has been such a hard nut to crack and how much historically have we thrown at this, at this in terms of research. Well, it has been a hard nut to crack. There's no question about that. And it's primarily because the bacterium, Liberobacter, lives in the phloem of the citrus tree. Uh, this is overly simplistic and mostly accurate, but a, a, a citrus tree has xylem and phloem like we have arteries and veins. Uh, the xylem takes the nutrition and water up from the roots, and then it comes back down through the phloem of the tree. And what HLB does is interfere with the carbohydrate process and the ability of materials to flow through the phloem. So that vascularity that exists in a healthy tree is totally interrupted. Historically, any bacterium that lives in the phloem of trees or plants is very hard to kill. So that's primarily why it's been so hard to get our, our hands around this and make progress. But I have to tell you, as I told all of those at the Citrus Show last week, if we can send a man to the moon and bring him back safely, we can certainly figure out a way to get a killing agent into the phloem of a tree. Uh, but that has turned out to be harder than we thought. We do think there are a number of things that will kill Liberobacter. We don't believe it's a particularly difficult thing 
to kill if we can just get to it. Um, but it has been vexing. There's no question about it. Nationally, we have spent 1.35 billion with a B dollars on trying to whip HLB. In Florida, CRDF has spent about $165 million and we have funded 462 projects. And part of my message last week at the Citrus Show was that um, while we had learned an awful lot about the disease, more than we ever have in, in, in the history of, of mankind, uh, what do we really have to show for it? Uh, and we, we have made some significant advancements. There's no question about that. And we have brilliant scientists working on this, but the metrics that really matter, production, i.e. yield, the number of citrus acres, and the number of citrus growers, those trend lines continue to go down. And those are the three metrics that really count. And so my message last week was, we have to begin doing some things differently. We can't keep doing the same old thing and expect a different result. Although science is a lengthy process and it takes a while to have these breakthroughs um, and we are getting there. And there are some things on the horizon that are causes to be very optimistic in my view, but we are gonna have to be willing to do some things differently at the beginning of this recording, I talked about our RFP process. One of the things that our board has directed CRDF staff to do that is different this year is that with these projects that are invited, we are supposed to, or we have been empowered to begin working with the researchers to refine the proposal so that we believe it hits the targets better than if the researcher were just doing it on his or her own. And the other thing that we've been empowered to do is if we don't in the final analysis believe that the proposals are hitting the mark, then CRDF staff has been impaneled to actually create the experiment and then we put the services out to bid. Uh, those might sound like common sense things, but it's somewhat revolutionary in the way research foundations work. Normally there is a a there's a, a wall of China built between the foundation and the researchers when these projects come in. And the reason for that is a good one. Uh, you don't wanna uh, create the appearance that you're picking and choosing between your friends and doing anything other than the projects that are the most meritorious. But the, but the reality is we are in a crisis and we are just gonna have to take some chances, do things differently, and make sure that the money that we have to spend, which is less this year than we've had in a while, um, gets us where we need to go. So I don't apologize for these changes. These were things that I had lengthy discussions with the board about, and we, we've, we've agreed to do it. Um, and, you know, I, I'm confident it's going to do well. I, we've gotten some fantastic proposals with these 63 pre-proposals, and I think this is the best RFP we've had in my time with CRDF. This will be the third RFP that I've been through and I think it's phenomenal. I think it's really good. The industry did a great job of conveying to us what they really needed to have answered and uh, our staff put together a, a, a great um, 
prescription for that and the researchers have responded really well. So I'm, I'm confident that we're gonna end up funding a really good batch of proposals as part of this 2021 RFP. Very good. I know one of the things that you, you, you're doing is kind of doubling down your efforts on evaluating uh, new rootstocks root and varieties. Talk a little bit about that and if there's any potential stars in the making out there that you're, that you're seeing in those trials. There are. And the way this came about, we have citrus breeders that we fund that are probably as prolific as most any in the history of American agriculture. It's just phenomenal the number of different and new cultivars they've created. Uh, nevertheless, we, we felt as though there were certain things that were not being done along the way that could improve the process. Uh, one of those was that we felt like in some cases, uh, some of the new creations in the plant breeding pipeline were not being subjected to the kind of replicated testing that would give you uh, a decision based on data about what proceeds or, or what follows and gets handed over to the next stage of the breeding pipeline. The other, the other uh, deficiency that we saw was that the last stage, we call it stage three, but the last stage of the plant breeding pipeline where you actually put these new creations in the field to see if they can hold up to a commercial planting environment um, was in many cases more observational or intuitive and not really uh, laid out. These, the, the testing of these materials were not laid out in ways that generated the kind of data that growers could use to, to make their planting decisions. And so we saw this as a good space for CRDF to, uh, to get into. And so what we have been negotiating with the university and the USDA ARS in Fort Pierce is for CRDF to be doing all of the stage three trials. And uh, that seems to be something which has been accepted by all the pertinent players. And CRDF uh, with the leadership of our select committee on plant improvement with Jim Snively as our first chairman and then John Gose as the second has come up with a list of guidelines that are gonna control how every field trial is done throughout the entire plant breeding pipeline, not just for stage three, but stages one and two, as well as stage three. It's gonna require certain uh, data to be collected, evaluated and distributed. And that's gonna drive the decision about what plants continue to advance throughout the pipeline plant breeding pipeline. And when they get to stage three, CRDF is going to be administering uh, those field trials. Now we know how to do this. Uh, we put in three field trials in 2014 that many growers have said have been among the more helpful to, with them in, in terms of making their planting decisions. And uh, those are rootstock trials. Well, we reached out to the university and the USDA researchers to give us their recommendations about uh, what were the, the best new rootstocks that they had been working on. And we did that with scions as well. And we got those recommendations from the university and the 
and the USDA. Our committee massaged all of those and we came out with uh, a number of new rootstocks and scions that we're going to begin testing. Now, unfortunately, you can't just decide to go out tomorrow and do it. You have to place the order with the nurseries and the trees have to be created. So we're probably a year, maybe 14 months away from actually getting the trees in the ground. But you have to start somewhere. And among these new rootstocks and new scions, we believe are some real stars. Um, I can't give you the, the, the numbers and, and the genealogies like the breeders can, but we did take what data they had and, uh, and analyzed of all of those they gave us, which were the ones that we thought had the greatest potential for success. Uh, there are a number of growers that believe the higher priority now is with new scions, greening tolerant and greening resistant scions, that we have rootstocks that are doing pretty well. Um, but we are going to do a, a new rootstock trial as well as, well as, as, as a new scion trial. And, and I uh, said that in a way that might think it's singular. There's, there's going to be a trial, a rootstock trial and a scion trial in all three of the primary growing areas in Florida. So, um, and it's gonna reflect some of those uh, that growers in those areas have gravitated towards. We'll use those as standards to make sure that we get a good comparison on how the new ones are doing. And then just talking about research, any, you know, any, one or two research areas that are, are getting you excited as this, this science evolves? Yeah, there is. Um, we, we, we believe, certainly I believe, that peptides is the next big thing. I know we've read a lot about peptides. Back in June of last year, I think it was, Hailene Jin, Jin from the University of California, Riverside, uh, came out with an announcement that she had discovered this peptide in finger limes that she thought created uh, either tolerance or um, um, resistance. And so that set off a, a storm of interest, as you might imagine. The day that release came out, I called Dr. Jen and spoke to her personally. And I said, tell me what CRDF needs to do to help you run this down. Because the reality was, uh, after a couple of conference calls with her over the next two or three weeks, she had only applied this peptide to maybe 20 trees in a greenhouse. And the greenhouse was probably the most controlled environment around. It's in California where it's almost like it's hermetically sealed. It's where they do work with live psyllids and that sort of thing. So, you know, while the early results were encouraging, it's hard to, you know, I don't think you'd push all your tables into them, all your chips to the middle of the table based on what you'd seen from 20 greenhouse trees. Because there, there's, been, there's been encouraging work done in the past where it seemed like something was, might be the thing. And then the more you find, find out it, it doesn't hold up in a commercial growing environment. Let's hope that's not the case with this. Um, but if these early results are true, and, and we're helping Dr. Jen trying to run this down, and the company that owns the proprietary rights 
to the peptide itself and to an injection device, which the company says is going to be required because of the expense of the peptide. They have 10 to 12 field trials ongoing in Florida now too. We'll be knowing something pretty soon. But if it is as claimed, meaning that it not only switches on the plant's natural innate immunity system, but it also directly kills Liberobacter and it stands up to the Florida heat and sun and can be sprayed and doesn't have to be injected. Well, that's the home run we've all been looking for. I mean, if that turns out to be true, uh, that's it. Um, so, you know, we're, we're, we're going as hard as we can to try to find out if this is in fact the thing. But I have to tell you that there are a number of other peptides that have shown very encouraging early results. Um, you know, I, I don't know if it's appropriate to be mentioning the names of products, but again, we're at a point where we can't be too cautious, I think. I understand where we are with the industry. Elemental Enzymes has one, and they've had 40-something field trials and four years' worth of data to support their contention that this increases yield 17 to 18% on average. And uh, they have actually filed to have this approved by EPA and CRDF is doing all it can to facilitate that review by EPA and to speed it along wherever we can. Uh, if we can get that approved by EPA and EPA has 18 months to make this decision, they received it the day before Thanksgiving. So they're a number of months into it now, but they have a lot longer uh, under the law, then um, hopefully we'll have another tool that growers will have at their disposal that is going to be ready here, uh, you know, in the next, I, I don't know, seven or eight months, perhaps. So there's that. Um, there's been a lot in the news about peptides that Southern Gardens and other companies have and different ways of trying to get the peptide into a tree. Uh, if a peptide can be sprayed, that probably means that it's switching on the plant's natural innate immunity. If a plant has to be, if, if the peptide has to be injected, then we're going to have to come up with an injection device that is cost effective. You know, I've always heard that if you have to touch the citrus tree, you cannot afford to do it. So I've been reaching out to a number of companies that have injection devices that I think are quite promising. There's one from the Midwest that I'm particularly excited about. And um, they have a way that gets the killing agent or a peptide or whatever it might be that we're trying to get into the tree almost directly into the phloem. It's not something that goes into the xylem and then has to cycle through. Uh, they, they, they're able to stop whatever they're injecting right in that sweet spot in that interchange area between the phloem and the xylem. So again, uh, I go back to what I said earlier that if we can send a, a man to the moon and bring him back safely, we can figure out a way to get a killing agent into the phloem of a citrus tree and this, this might be it. I'm very, very excited about this and uh, am going to be speaking to my board this week about 
paying the cost to get this company to come down here and try their device with a number of different injection in, injectionables, I get, maybe that's not the right word, a number of compounds that we want to see if we can get into the tree. Uh, I'm sure the board's going to approve that. And uh, hopefully within the next few weeks, they'll be coming down here and we'll start sticking trees and see if we can make something work. Excellent. Excellent. Then just to wrap us up here, you know, the, the billion dollar question, literally billion dollar question is, are we going to defeat HLB? I don't think there's any question about it. I mean, it's just impossible for there to be this much brain power and this much money thrown at this problem for, for us not to ultimately prevail. So there's no question in my mind that there will be a time when HLB is in the rearview mirror. The question, of course, is can we get there quickly enough to help these growers that are really struggling? And, and I, I think we can, but again, I don't want to be presumptuous about how difficult things are. And I hear from growers, not every week, but you know, pretty often, that if we don't have something soon, like in the next year or so, they're gonna they're gonna wave the white flag. So we know that time is of the essence. Uh, we know that growers have their backs against the wall, and we are doing all we can to try to make this happen as quickly as possible. Very good. Well, with that, I think we'll wrap up the conversation. Rick, we really appreciate you joining us today, and uh, thank you for thank you for stopping by the We Believe in Florida Citrus podcast. You bet, Frank, and I appreciate you too. Thank you. 